I'm going to have you actually open our Bibles. We're going to actually go back to the book of Proverbs. Go back with me. We're going to start over there. I hope that you had a good night's rest, because if you're planning on sleeping for this session, I'm hoping you won't, okay? <laughs> um, but definitely grab a pencil, pen, piece of paper, something like that, because I, I want you to write these verses down as, as we go. You're going to want to really think about these verses. Go to Proverbs chapter, we're going to start over here in Proverbs chapter 22. Okay, we're going to begin here at Proverbs chapter 22, and uh, we're going to look at verse 20 and 21. We'll read these couple of verses, and then we'll have a word of prayer and get ourselves going. It's a question. In Proverbs 22, verse 20, it says, Have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge. You know, if, if it stopped even right there, that's a good question. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Okay, so why, so why did you write to us excellent things in counsels and knowledge? Here's why. That I might make thee know the what? What's the next word there? The certainty of the words of truth. Okay, well, why do we need to know that? Here's why. That thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Our gracious God and Father, we are thankful for the opportunity that this weekend affords us in your word as we, as we go to your word to remind ourselves about building on the right foundation and what that means, what it looks like, and what it can produce. And we do ask, Father, as we spend a little bit of time here in this session looking at your word, that each and every one of us here this morning, those listening by way of the internet and those that might at a later point be listening to this recording, that we would deal with this question right here in these two verses and really come to terms with it and let it, and let it come to terms and deal with us in our own heart so that we will have the certainty that you have written about in your word, not only that we ourselves can live with these words of truth, but that when others send unto us and when we seek to reach out to others, that we will remember to give to them your words, words of certainty, so that we can live with certainty and assurance. And we'll thank you for this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Let me begin this morning by asking a question. And as you can see from a verse like this, you've you really got to stop and think about what's going on here. Um, given enough time, we, every one of us here is going to be visited, assuming that the rapture doesn't happen, of course. But given enough time, every one of us is going to be visited here by death. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So this life is certainly temporary <coughs> and it's going real fast wouldn't you say yeah, yeah. how often do you hear you know as you as you kind of put a few year, more years on your frame and so forth you think man life seems to be going faster yeah. does it seem to kind of speed up mm -hmm. when you're you know four five six seven eight years old you want to you, you're you want to man i want to be 10 and then i want to be 12 and then i want to be 
15, I want to be 16, and then I want to be 20 and everything. And then, and then you hit 30 and 40 and wait, slow down. <laughs> kind of, and then you're, you're 50s and 60s and then 70s and so forth. Which, by the way, you guys do know that, that they say like 60 is the new 30 kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they say, right? <laughs> so, I, I am trying to prove that they're right. I'm, I'm not doing such a good job at it. But at any rate, as time passes, then you realize you have less time, don't you? That, that asset is dwindling way faster than your bank account. Okay, And so if you have never dealt with the issue of the, the temporary nature of this life and then, and then the afterlife, it, by the way, it's time to start doing that, right, wouldn't you say? But every one of us here realize we're, we're basing the eternal destiny of our soul on some words in a book. <coughs> Understand that? Mm -hmm. And not only that, but we're, we're basing our lives here and now, the, the thinking process, the decisions that we make, the choices that we make, things that we do and don't do. We're, we're basing it on a book. Isn't that kind of weird? <coughs> Well, it would be very weird, except for the source of the book, where the book came from. Follow that? So what we want to talk about this morning is just that very issue, is what, what does the book claim about itself? And, and why should we believe it? What, what is, what does, what does this book say? To, and I've got a King James Bible here, of course. You guys know that. And, and I know from this pulpit, you guys preach a King James Bible. I understand that. And, and that's the right one in English to be preaching, by the way. But, but what does this book claim, not only about itself, but what does it claim about the author of this book, and therefore the God of this book? multitudes of people talk about God. God this, God that, God this, and of course lots of times after the word God they start a word with D. But lots of people talk about God. And occasionally people will appeal to one or two verses from the Bible. But the vast majority of people that talk about God, the God that they're thinking about and talking about is very different than the God who claims to be the author of this book. Very, very different. H how do you know that what you're believing is the God of this book? H how do you know that when you are praying that you're talking to the God of this book? Is it just because you begin your prayers with Heavenly Father? Well, the Mormons do that. Jehovah's Witnesses do that. Everybody does that, Heavenly Father. Our Father. You realize there is a Father that's in heaven that's not the right God? Mm -hmm. Father of all life. Understand that? There is a Father in heaven that's not the true God. So just because you begin your prayer with our Father which art in heaven. Yeah, which one? <laughs> right? 
So what I want to do this morning is just, just take a few minutes. We're going to look at a lot of verses, of course. And, and we, want to, we want to make sure that, we, that the foundation that we have in our soul about the Bible, that the foundation is solid. It's sure. It's not cracked. That when they, when they laid the foundation, they, they, you know, they put the rebar in and used the, the proper kind of cement and it cured properly. Because a lot of, for a lot of people, that what they believe, either about the Bible itself or the God of the Bible, frankly, is very different than the God of the Bible in the book itself. So let's again start with these two verses, and let's just slowly think about them. Watch the question here. Have not I written to thee excellent things? Now, now I understand, okay, the, the human author of the book of Proverbs is writing and asking that question, but there's a divine author as well. Those two verses are not just about the book of Proverbs. Those two verses or the Bible, those two verses are the question that the Bible, if, if the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and it certainly is at least that, it's, it's a lot more than that, but it, it, then in, 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 in those two verses you see the question that the author of the book, not just the book of Proverbs, but the book, is asking humanity. It's a reasonable question. He says, have not I written to thee, watch this, not deceptive things, not confusing things, not fake things, but what? Excellent things in counsels and knowledge. And here's why he did that, that I, might make thee know the what? What's the next word there? Certainty. certainty. Is anyone interested in certainty? What's another word that would be a great word to use along with the idea of certainty? Assurance. Assurance. Those two words go together, don't they? Why might someone need or want or desire to have certainty and assurance? What does that bring about in life? Peace. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Across the board, peace. Rest. It confirms hope, and not hope in the confidence is another one, yeah. And hope not in the sense of, well, I kind of hope my team wins or doesn't win, but, but assurance, confident expectations. He says in verse 21, that I might make thee know the certainty of, look at the next phrase there, what's it say there? The words of what? Listen, in order to have certainty, you have to have words of truth. And it's in those words of truth where you find the wise counsels and knowledge, the excellent, excellent things. If they're not words of truth, then what? You can't have confidence in them. You can't have any assurance. And therefore, you really can't have peace. He says, verse 21, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth. Okay, well, why do you want us to have that? Here's why. So, so that thou mightest answer 
Well, by the way, before you can answer someone the words of truth, that means the words of truth got in you. You got to believe it first. And he says, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Well, why might we want to do that? Why would you want to answer the words of truth to someone that maybe asks you a question? Why would you want to do that? So they can know the truth. If you don't have any assurance and peace in your own heart, you can't give it away. That's a wonderful way to put it. If, if you don't have the absolute confidence and therefore the resulting assurance and peace, confidence that comes from God's word, the fact that God cannot lie and that what he conveyed to us are the words of truth, if we don't have that in our heart, you can't give something away that you don't have. I'm saying that when we approach the word of God, those two verses really encapsulize what the word of God is. The words of truth. They're the words of God that God spoke. They came right out of the mouth of God. And God made sure in time that God, they got written down. Now what's implied and demanded in that idea of written down? Why would you want to write it down? To preserve it, to have it. You see, if God simply would have spoken and it never got written down, what would be the problem with that? How would you know what he ever said? You'd have no certainty. You'd have no standard. It'd be a total guess. No wonder Christianity is in the state where they're in. Because they don't believe the perfect, infallible, inerrant word of God. Not only that God wrote it in time, but it's preserved it through time. They don't believe that. It's no wonder they're kind of the shifting sand, the foundations that they've abandoned, the very foundations, as Brother Jordan was talking about last night. Now, if you would, go with me this time over to Matthew chapter 4. In fact, do this. You're in Proverbs, aren't you? Yeah, okay, yeah. Go, go to Matthew 4. Go to Matthew 4. Watch this. Go to Matthew 4. You're also going to get Proverbs chapter 2. You can let go of Proverbs chapter 22. Go to Matthew 4, Luke 4, and Proverbs 2. We're just looking at some verses and allowing our mind and heart to think about these and believe them. You should have Matthew 4, you should have Luke 4, and you should have Proverbs chapter 2. You can, have, you can let go of Proverbs 22 there. Okay, look at a couple of things here. Look at Matthew 4 and verse 4. Matthew 4, verse 4, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Matt, Matthew records what Christ said. In fact, let me back up a little bit, if you would. I'll start at verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be, to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, but by the way, Remember, that's, that's the question, right? 
Remember how chapter 3 ended? This is my beloved son. So chapter 4, if you are his beloved son, let's see how you do. You see how I pushed him to the test? You see, you see the flow there? So he says in chapter 4, verse 4, but he answered and said, okay, what are the first three words that come out of his mouth right here? It is written. And we'll, and we'll come back to this verse a little later as well, but, but keep reading. He says this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Well, there's a lot going on here. When the Lord Jesus Christ is tempted of the devil, he, Christ <coughs> understands that the source of his strength is what? It's the, it's, it's the document that was written down. It is, it is what? It is written, he says. He understands that the conflict and, and the answer to the question, if thou be the son of God, is contained in, it is written. He understands the source of his strength is, it is written. But what is written? Look, look at what he says there. It says, man shall not live, he quotes a specific passage there, but think about his con the concept here. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth where? From where? So, so what's in that verse? Think, think about what's all, what, what all is demanded from, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. Where did the word come from? Okay, so it came out of the mouth of God. Well, what good is that? What do you have to have if the word of God comes out of the mouth of God? What has to happen to those words in order for them to benefit even the Lord Jesus Christ right there? They have to have got written down. They have to be written down and preserved. If words came out of the mouth of God, but they never got written down, they're not really going to benef benefit anybody in time. You understand that concept? Christ, in that verse, is appealing to a written document. And that written document, those words, were the very words that came out of the mouth of God. These types of things, that's what the Bible claims about itself. So we have to decide whether or not we believe these things. I, I know you do, by the way, okay? But you understand, that's what people have to decide about, about the Bible. Is it what it claims to be? Is the author of it truly the creator of heaven and earth. Yes. See, if, if, if your approach to the Bible is, well, yeah, the Bible's a pretty good book. It's definitely up there among the best books of humanity and so forth. But as soon as you said that word, you know what you just did? <laughs> you absolutely introduced unbelief. You've got no foundation. It would be based upon your feelings and speculation. Don't trust the eternal destiny of your soul to feelings and speculation. You need words of certainty. You need words of truth. 
parents, think about this. Your children come to you and they ask the big questions, the good questions. <laughs> Mommy, Daddy, what, what, where did that come from anyway? And, and what happens when, when Grandma died and Grandpa died? Where'd they go? And what happens when I die? What are you going to tell that kid? You, you look at, at them in the eye and say, well, we all came from the Big Bang. and we're, we're, So we came from nothing and we're going from nothing. You know, get over it, have a, have a good life. <laughs> Charming, yeah. What encouraging that is. Do you understand the absolute sheer willful ignorance with the concept that we came from nothing, that everything came from nothing, and therefore we're all going to nothing? Death. Cessation of existence cannot be the purpose of life. Life demands, that just the concept of life demands something beyond death. Death is not the goal of life. When you come to what the Lord Jesus Christ believed, he says, it <coughs> is written. He had absolute confidence in, in, in a written document because the source of that written document was God and the words in that written document were the very words that came out of the mouth of God. That's what this book declares about itself. That's why we have, if we're going to call ourselves Bible-believing Christians, and that's an important qualification. That's an important you know, lead to the tag of Christian, wouldn't you say? Let's call ourselves Bible-believing Christians. How about let's, not emotional Christians or feeling Christians. We have emotions and we do have feelings. I understand that, but that's not our authority. It needs to be the word of God. And he says, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The, the, the similar passage over in Luke 4. Just real quickly, you see the parallel passage. He says in Luke 4, 4, Jesus answered him saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And notice that when you look at two verses, this one says every word of God. The one that Matthew said, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So not only did the words of God... Each and every word came out of his mouth, but each and every word got written down and preserved. None of them were lost, is the claim. That's very important. Would it be a problem if some of those words got lost that came out of the mouth of God that he intended to convey, and, and therefore the words of certainty? How about, how about what, what if you lose five simple words? You just, they're only, there's, there's, how many words in the entire Bible? I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you someone who does know Brother Jordan right there. I'm sure he does, okay? <laughs> how many words in the entire Bible? What, what's that estimate? Anybody? How about a lot, right? How about, you know, let's just, in the new translations, they don't have any trouble leaving out a word here, a word there, and so forth. In fact, I've heard it said that when you, when you, take, when you add up the total words in the King James Bible and you add up the total words like in, a, in an NIV, that the number of words left out would be sufficient to write the entire book of Revelation. I've heard that. I haven't checked that personally, but I heard, heard it's pretty, pretty dramatic. Okay, so let's just leave five words out. That's all. Just five. How about Christ died for our sins? That would be, that'd be huge if you leave those five words out. Don't do it. That's what I'm saying. Now, this idea of words that God spoke that came out of his mouth 
and then they got written down, right? Okay? You can let go of Luke, you can let go of Matthew, now go to Proverbs 2. Watch this. Go to Proverbs chapter number 2. Proverbs 2, watch this. I'm, I'm going to start at verse 1, and then there, again there's kind of a series of questions and statements here. <coughs> Proverbs 2, verse 1. Watch this. He says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words, notice the word receive. Receive. What, what's the word receive imply? You have to, it's a choice, right? They're available, and it's a choice. If you will receive. He says, if thou will receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear. Notice, Scripture says, faith cometh by what? Hearing. He says, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Would it be important in this life to apply, for a person to apply their heart to wisdom and understanding? Would that be kind of a, a good purpose for living? A good meaning to find reason for living, wouldn't you say? He says, okay, so, verse 2, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seek her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures. I got a question for you. Let, let's just say that it was, it was discovered that right here in Tempe, Arizona, in fact, it turns out that, that they discovered for anyone that was a member of Southwest Bible Fellowship, that's this church, right? Just checking. That it turns out that all those that owned property or rented property that were members of, it's just totally by chance and accident, so that all those that were members of that local assembly, guess what? It turns out that on their property, they just happened to have a whole treasure of silver and gold and in, in minerals in the ground. I, I thought that would get a bigger response out there. Come on. <laughs> Maybe it's true. I don't know. <laughs> You're all trying to hold a secret. You didn't, you didn't want this to get out on the internet, right? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I mean, think about what that would do. Wait, wait. You mean we can, are you kidding? We can go buy that. We got that old clunker car. We can go buy a new car now kind of thing. You see how it would probably affect your thinking and your outlook as well as where you would start digging in the backyard. Quick, kids, get a shovel. <laughs> you know? We thought we were growing tomatoes. D dig a little deeper there. <laughs> well, see, he's conveying to his son here. Now listen, the treasures are there. They're right in your backyard, as it were. They're right on your property. You're, ho you're, ho you're holding it in the book that you're reading. He says, verse 4, If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasure. If you're going to seek for silver and treasures, first of all, you have to believe that they have value. You have to believe silver has value. And you got to believe it can be found. And you got to believe that you're, you're following the instructions to where they're located. You know they are there. Watch verse 5. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. Listen, people say this. People say the phrase, the fear of the Lord. They say that it's the reverential trust of God. Okay, yeah. But what the heck does that mean? <laughs> oh, the reverential trust of God. All right. Okay, I know I'm supposed to trust God. I know I'm supposed to revere his name. Right? Okay. Listen, the phrase, the fear of the Lord, he uses that in chapter number one. We'll see it in a moment. 
the phrase of fear of the Lord is a reference to what a person's attitude towards the words of God that came out of the mouth of God that get written down on paper should be. The fear of the Lord is your attitude towards his word, what he says. That's what that, the phrase, the fear of the Lord. But anyway, keep reading. He says at verse 5, Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Watch this. So, 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 so you're, you're looking for wisdom, understanding. You're, you're searching for it. You're digging for it like treasure. You know it's there. You know it can be found. Well, where should I look? Look at verse 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom, next phrase, what's it say there? Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Wait a minute. So if I want wisdom and knowledge and understanding, where should I look? I need to look and expect to find the words that came out of the mouth of God that got written down. That's scripture right there. That's the word of God right there. So if that's the view that scripture has about itself as its source and what it is, then therefore we can receive what it says, gain the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that's there, and therefore receive the assurance, the certainty that what we have here are indeed the words of truth. Therefore, they provide stability and, 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 and hope and peace in our own heart. Therefore, it can do for others what it did for us. Therefore, we give away to others to come and see. That verse again, verse 6, it's incredible. For the Lord giveth wisdom. By the way, is it James that says, if any man lacks wisdom, must let him ask of God and he'll give it to him liberally? <coughs> so you know what people do when they think about that verse? They go like this. Okay, they'll read the, they'll, they'll read the verse. Okay, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And God. So they go like this. Oh, Lord, give us wisdom. Oh, Lord, give us understanding. Okay, wait, wait, wait. You went like this. You read the verse. You just, you just shut the source. Yeah. I wish you'll love our comments up there. <laughs> when he says that, if any lacks wisdom understand, he's not telling them to close the Bible. He's telling them to read the Bible, open the Bible, look at the verses. The wisdom and understanding that he talks about is not that God's going to supernaturally come along and open your brain up and pour in wisdom and so forth. His, the wisdom is already written down in the Word of God. When he says it, verse 6, for the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Stay in the same book, chapter 1 this time. The Proverbs of Solomon, verse 1, the son of David, king of Israel. Now watch his flow here. He says, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. To see, see, to know, to perceive, to receive. See that? See the process here? So verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, 
and judgment and equity, which means wisdom, justice, judgment, equity. They, they, they have instruction in them, don't they? And then here's what it'll do. It'll give subtlety to the simple. But by the way, you, I'm serious. I, I don't want to be misunderstood. The word simple doesn't mean airheaded. It means you're trusting what the verses say in the world's view. Oh, you guys are just simple-minded. You guys, you, you believe the Bible? You, you come to the word of God. You come to God with a simple heart of faith. He says, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. By the way, it's not only young men that need knowledge and discretion, okay? <laughs> he says, watch this. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain to wise counsels. To understand the proverb and the interpretation the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Dark doesn't mean like satanic or evil. Dark, but the idea of the veil, you got to dig for, dig for them like you're digging for silver and gold kind of a thing. Now look at the next statement. Look where it all begins. If you want all the things in verse 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 6, then guess where it all begins. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where it all begins. It all begins with a basic fundamental belief about the Bible. To fear the Lord means you hold his word in high regard. Think of the opposite would be you have no problem at all changing the Bible. Well, a better translation, oh, that's a bad translation. Oh, it's terrible and so forth. Oh, the Greek says this. The Hebrew says this. You know, the word of God doesn't exist perfectly anywhere at all. You just have to piece it all together and cut it. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's unbelief. Not only about where the words of God came from, but about the God that gave those words, his, his ability to preserve the words in time. You, you mean he can speak an entire creation into existence out of nothing. He can uphold all things by the word of his power, but he cannot keep his word perfect through time and eternity. Does that make any sense at all? Seven. The fear of the Lord is the begin that's where it all starts, is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise. See, don't, they don't simply reject it. They despise its claim to be the final authority. They despise it. That verse says that they despise wisdom and instruction. By a person rejecting the claims of the Bible about itself, what they are doing about wisdom and instruction, they're despising it. They're rejecting it. See the idea there? Now, go with me, if you would, over to Psalm 45. This is, to me, this is a cool one here. These are all pretty cool, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Just about the Bible itself. Watch this. Go to Psalms 45. In Psalm 45 here, the writer David is, is really prophesying about the time when the father 
will say to the son when he, when he dispatches him and to return to the earth and, and, and take the authority of the kingdom, all right? You see at verse, uh, look what he's going to tell him to do at verse 3. I just want to kind of see the context here. The father's going to say to the son this, verse 3, gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he ascended up after his death and resurrection, so if it ascends up to the Father, he does so fulfilling Psalms 110 verse 1. The, the, the Lord said to my Lord. So God the Father said to David, through David, to David's son, the Messiah, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Psalm 110, verse 1. So when Christ ascends up there, he takes and he's set down at the Father's right hand. When that verse says, sit thou until I make thy enemies, the word until implies what? About his posture. He's going to stand up. So put that verse together with this passage right here. The Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, the Father is going to say to the Son, when it's time to send the Son back, he's going to say, okay, Son, it's time. Stand up, as it were. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh. What, what's he fixing to do here? Yeah, this is, not, this is not a parade sword decoration here. When, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was an officer in the Marine Corps, so we had, we had an officer's sword. You could probably do some damage with that, but that's not, a, that's, not a, that's not designed to be a weapon to fight with, in a sense. It was a parade sword. This is not a parade sword here. When he says, gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. And so this is when the father is going to turn to the son and say, okay, son, it's time to get back and, and go and, and take that which is your own. So, so put on your attire and go. Now, this is a pretty intense psalm, wouldn't you say? Let's go back to verse 1. So God, through the writer here, is opening up his heart <coughs> when he says, my heart is indicting, notice, a good matter. Usually when you think about the word indictment, you think about a bad issue. Someone, someone did something wrong. God's making an indictment right here in this passage. And he's saying, this is a good one. This is a good indictment that's happening here. God is opening up his heart about his son. He says, my heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made, touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fair. So the father says to the son, thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore, God hath blessed thee forever. So then gird. You see, what's the good matter? The good matter he's speaking about here is when he turns to the son and says, okay, son, it's yours. Go. Notice a phrase in the very first verse. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My 
tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Did you put, did you put that together? God says in that verse, I've spoken. The words that came out of, out of my mouth, they are what the, doc, what, the, what the writer wrote down. My tongue is the pen. How do you know what God spoke? The only way you'd know what he spoke is if he made sure it got written down, and that verse demands that he did. His tongue is the pen. The pen is his tongue of a ready writer. That's what scripture is. Scripture is a reference to the very words of God that he spoke. And obviously in this passage about his son, a good matter. That's what scripture is. The words of God that came out of the mouth of God that got written down. That's what scripture claims to be. When we're reading the Bible, we're reading a book that's very, very different than every other book ever been written. This book claims to be the words of God, not just that came out of his mouth, but that he made sure they got written down. He says, my tongue is the pen. How else would you know what he said otherwise if it didn't get written down? You absolutely would not know. Look over to quickly, if you would, to John chapter 17. Watch, watch what the Lord Jesus Christ thinks about Scripture. Watch what he believes about God's word. Look over to John 17. You guys all know this passage here. Look over to John 17. John 17, 17, he says this. He's speaking in this context directly to the Father. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Everybody see that verse? What is it, therefore, in order for the Lord Jesus Christ to say that? And he said it in the audience of the disciples, by the way as he's praying audibly to the Father. Then therefore, what did the Lord Jesus believe about Scripture? There was a truth. Doesn't that kind of bring us back to the very couple of verses we started? Have not I written unto thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge that thou mightest know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the certainty of the words of truth to them that send unto thee. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, when he says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Go back to his temptation. When, when the devil comes up to him and says, if thou be the son of God. Listen, the, the only way you're going to know the answer to the question of whether or not when the previous verse ends, when, when this voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son, the very next chapter, if thou be the son. The only way you're going to know the answer to that question is, what's he going to trust? What's he going to build his life on? Does he believe about the word of God what the author of the word of God believes about the word of God? Because if he didn't believe 
about the Word of God, what the author of the Word of God believes about the Word of God, then he's not the Son of God. So when the very first words come out of his mouth, that's that temptation, he begins, it is written. He doesn't say, you know, you're kind of right. I've been going 40 days. I haven't had any bread or water. I am kind of hungry. Boy, a Big Mac would be really good right now. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, you know, I've been to the seminary and so forth, and I feel... He doesn't say, well, let me go check the lexicons and the Greek and the Hebrew. He just says, it is written. Isn't that something? That was his authority. We have talked about it. And you, you, you guys have studied here about the doctrine of the faith of Christ, right? Essentially, what the doctrine of the faith of Christ focuses on the fact that he trusted God's written word. Every day he read the word of God. He believed the word of God. So when he says, this is towards the end of his ministry, when he says, sanctify them through thy truth, well, he, he knew that it's God's word that would sanctify them because it was God's word that sanctified him. He lived by it. And he wanted the disciples to do the same thing, to trust God's word. Look with me to Psalms 138. I can tell from the clock there I have to move way more, way, way faster. Is, is, is that even a good proper English? That was terrible English, wasn't it? <laughs> My wife's not here to help me, right? <laughs> but you guys got the point, right? Look over to these verses. Let's quickly look at these. Look at Psalms 138. Let's just do these quickly now. Psalms 138, verse 2. If you don't have this one marked in your Bible, certainly do that. Underline it, mark it. 138, verse 2, he says this, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word. And then what does it say there? Above all thy name. In that verse, what is it that David believes, that God believes about his word? In that verse right there. What, what did he do? That's right, he magnified it above it. When, when God says about himself, he says, be holy for I am holy. The word holy doesn't simply mean the idea that God won't and can't sin. That's, that's certainly true. But the idea of holiness is that he's true to his word. He magnifies his word above his own name. Everything about God that he does, that he thinks, that he acts upon, is not based upon sovereignty. It's based upon the integrity of his word, based on his holiness. When he says, for thou hast magnified thy word above, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. If we're going to call ourselves Bible-believing Christians, and, and we should call ourselves Bible believers, shouldn't we call ourselves that? Then what should our view of Scripture be in, in connection with that verse right there? What, what should it be? We should, we should hold it in pretty high regard, greatest thing. Look over to 
Psalms 119.89, and, and then if you would, get Daniel chapter 10. Look at Psalms 119.89. You know this verse too, right? Okay. He says this. Psalm 119.89. Think about this. It says, forever. Okay, so how long is forever? Yeah. And you realize, when the Bible talks about God, it says from everlasting to everlasting. By the way, where was God before in the beginning? He was in everlasting. That's his domain, domain everlasting. As long as God has been God, if, if his word is that which came out of his mouth, is what he thought, what he said, that which was in his heart and so forth, then you understand his word is eternal like he is eternal. Jesus Christ said it cannot be broken. The word of God says it liveth and abideth forever. It, in order for it to live, that means, well, doesn't God liveth? Yes. As long as God has been God. That's how long his word has been there. When that verse says this, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. Where? Think about that. Don't, don't, limit, don't limit what that verse is conveying. When people read that verse, sometimes they think about the, well, okay, God, you know, that just means that, that in eternity past that God had already figured out what his word was going to be and so forth, and so in time he just wrote it down. Okay, wait, 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 wait. When, when we, people argue about the original autographs, you know where the original autographs of Scripture actually are? They're in heaven! <laughs> God wasn't thinking up the plan in time as it, he said, oh man, what, what are we going to wake, wake up and write today? <laughs> and, and then when, when Satan comes along and does this, and then God does that, and Satan does this, God, God isn't thinking, okay, boy, okay, i got to change the mind, i got to write this now. No, no, no. The word of God was already settled in heaven before it ever got put down on paper in time. God's not having to make up the story as it goes in time. Then compare this verse. Look over to Daniel. What did it say? Daniel 10. In this verse here, the angel is speaking to Daniel about what became part of the, prophet, the prophetic program, right? Notice what he says, verse 21. Daniel 10 and 21. When the angel is speaking this to Daniel, Daniel has not yet written the entire book of Daniel when, he's, when, the, when the angel's communicating this to him. He's not written the book yet. Oh, got, got the concept? So watch what he says at verse 21. He says this, But I will show thee that which is noted in what? Scripture of truth. The word scripture, that's a reference to the words of God that came out of the mouth of God that got written down. But did you catch something he said there? Hey, that, that verse doesn't say, I will show thee that which you are going to note in what is going to become the scripture of truth. It's already noted in that document up there in heaven. It is 
was noted. That's before Daniel ever wrote the book of Daniel. Because the word of God was already settled in heaven. And those words are being conveyed in time, not invented through time. Isn't that fascinating? Quickly, if you would, Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Can, can I go five more minutes? I'll do, let, let's, let's all do this quickly. Watch this. The, the, this is when these Bible skeptics and unbelievers, the Sadducees in particular, come and, and, and confront the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want you to see, I want you to see what the Lord Jesus believed about Scripture, about the, the Word of God. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, You do err. How come? Not knowing the scriptures. What's implied in that? What's demanded in that? Listen, if you don't know the scriptures, by default, you're going to err. But then wouldn't the opposite also be true? If you know the scriptures, that'll save you from erring. <laughs> That's a good phrase, right? Erring. It'll save you from that. He goes on to say, 31, just jump ahead, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, and then, of course, he quotes the Old Testament. In order for in you to know what God said, he's not speaking to us audibly, and if anyone tells you that he is, you, you need to kind of quickly go the other way. But in order for us to know what God says, what he said had to have been written down, and it's got to have been preserved, and you've got to read it. It's got to be available. Go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. What's this? 53, he says, Think, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels but how then shall the what the scriptures be fulfilled but thus it must be now think about that when he says but how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled where are the scriptures the scriptures are the words of God that came out of the mouth of God that were already settled in heaven and eternity to pass written down in time preserved in time when that verse says but how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That, that means that the scriptures that he was thinking about had to have been preserved beyond his day in order for future generations to find out whether or not they got fulfilled. Look over to John chapter 5. John 5. Let's just do these. And then we'll wrap this up here. Look over to John chapter 5. Watch this, 39. Search the scriptures, which means they, they were supposed to do that and they were available to do that. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And by the way, their thinking was correct that you can find eternal life in the scriptures as long as you're open to find out and see who the scriptures are about. Because he goes on to say, and they are they which testify of, of me. See what he believed about the scriptures? Chapter 19 of John. 
tell you what, just for time's sake, let's do this. Go to, go to Acts 17. Watch this. Go to Acts 17. Let me kind of shift gears, but same, same idea. What, what's the Bible claim about itself? Why should we believe it? Should we believe it? Where did it come from? Look, look what Paul's method was. He goes to Thessalonica. He goes to a synagogue of the Jews and so forth. And as he goes, 17 verse 2, he says this, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days, reasoned with them. What's it say there? Okay, so, so what, do you, what must his thinking be about the Scriptures if he goes in and reasons with them out of the Scriptures? What, what must he have believed about Scripture? They were the authority, the final authority. They didn't need to be corrected or changed or altered. They just need to be believed. Look over to Romans chapter number 4 here. Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. The Apostle Paul here is writing about a question about Abraham, what, that uh, if he were justified by works and so forth. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. This is, this is probably the greatest question in the Bible about the Bible, that in the question is the answer. You see Romans chapter 4, verse 3, the first phrase there? Let's all say it out loud together. Just the first phrase, ready? For what saith the Scriptures? Who cares? God cares. And therefore we should. When that verse says, for what saith the Scriptures? Paul appeals to a written document to settle the argument. That means he believed the authority was in the words in that written document. It stood alone. It answered the question. It was done. It was finalized. Well, for what saith the scripture? Yes. What saith the scripture? That's the right answer. Always go back to the scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. He says it's about scripture. Let me just wrap this up here. He said that Scripture is able to make thee wise. Okay, but wait. In order for a document to be able to make one wise, what must be true of the document? It must be wise. It must have wisdom in it to make the reader have the wisdom. It must be available. It's able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It also is able to do with do this. It's able to produce the man of God. That means it's got, it's got production capacity, ability to, to bring you to maturity, truly furnish you to all good works. Listen, there's nothing like this book anywhere in the world. This is God's word. It stands alone. One last passage, and I'm going to use this as an illustration. Go to Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis 2, we'll wrap it up here. Remember, remember in John 6, when the Lord Jesus Christ speaking about his words, he says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are what? Life. The word of God, the very words of God, this is, this is their life, life-giving words. Now, where did the words of God come from? from out of the mouth of God why did they come out of the mouth of God how come because that's what was in God remember the Lord Jesus Christ talks about 
the, the concept, the idea that, that whatever's in the heart of a man, that's what proceeds out of the mouth because it's what's inside of him. So if God was to speak words, those words have to be life because that's, that's what's in God. Look at Genesis 2. 7, Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, and there's our phrase. What's it say there? Why did God breathe into his nostrils the breath of life? Because that's what was in God. He can't breathe anything else. And man became a living soul. That's what the word of God is. The word of God, it's the breath of God. The words that came out of his mouth, the breath of life. And when we're approaching scripture, reading scripture, believing scripture, that's how we receive the knowledge, the wisdom, the instruction, the understanding, the treasure, the gold. And it thus produces in us those, because they are the words of certainty, Therefore, it produces assurance. It brings peace. Therefore, in our own hearts, we let the words of truth stabilize us. So when someone sends unto you and has a question for you, then you say, listen, let me take you to the place of the treasure. Let me take you to the word of God. I'm not going to give you my opinion or my feelings. Let me just have you see the words of truth because they'll produce in you what they did in me. Do you see how you're conveying that? Let's unite our hearts in prayer as we close. Oh, gracious God and Father, we thank you for, to, to, to be able to take a few minutes this word just to really marvel at these very verses here that, that each and every one of us here today and those listening on the internet, that, that we have the opportunity to trust the eternal destiny of our soul on and you cannot lie. And that when we approach your word, just, just by believing it, it produces in us that assurance, that peace. It brings about that joy and that comfort that indeed it does. We thank you for this precious truth in Christ's name. Amen.